We turn in God's Word then to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. For those uh, who are visiting, uh, we are on a series of messages generally in the evening on uh, men or women from the Bible whose names begin with the letter O. Uh, We have started back with the letter A a number of summers ago now. Uh, And now we're into uh, the letter O. Tonight, uh, that message is going to be on a man by the name of Onesiphorus. Now, I've listened to five or six different people pronounce it. I'm probably not going to pronounce it every time the same as well. But it's interesting because most of you are going to go, I have not a clue who this is. And yet, Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture are written about this man. I think that's one of the things that that just continually intrigues me uh, about this series of messages. Because you you dig in and here's this person. He's going to get a couple of mentions. There's a couple of verses about him in the book of 2 Timothy. That's all we have. And yet what we have is so rich, it is so beautiful to have these words written about any one of us. We we would be delighted to have the words that are written about Onesiphorus. See, I told you I'm not going to get it right every time. We'd love to have it on our gravestone. If these words could be true of Myself, of you, oh, what a delight, what a blessing they would be. So let's turn and let's hear what the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write. Realizing that these words are just as instructive to us, they're just as much the Word of God as our words like, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Or some of the the beautiful theological statements that Paul is making for us uh, through the Spirit in Colossians. We're going to begin reading okay, at verse 1, and we're going to read the entire chapter of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, 
which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Theogallus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. As you well know, all the service he rendered at Ephesus. As far as the reading of God's word. The only other verse that includes his name is if you go to chapter 4, verse 19. Paul concludes this letter with these greetings. And I'll just read verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Those are the only mentions of this man. So from these texts, from these passages tonight, let's look at three things. First of all, Paul's reason for blessing. That's why this man is mentioned. Paul, as a blessing, he sees Anisiphorus as a blessing. Why? What, what did Anisiphorus do? Secondly, what are Paul's words of blessing? What actually does Paul say about this situation? And then thirdly, Paul's call to be a blessing. We don't know anything about his family other than that he has a household. We can gather that. We are not told anything else about his background. We're not told anything about his occupation or position. Uh, church... Legend has it that he served as an elder at the church of Ephesus, although we, we have no biblical evidence to that extent. We do know he lived in Ephesus. Uh, that is pretty well taken from what Paul writes here to Timothy and what includes then in chapter 4 as well. So he did live at one time in Ephesus, whether he still did at the time of this writing, uh, that is part of what we don't know about this book. One of the interesting things, though, is that we do know what his name means. This strange, unusual name that I doubt any one of you is ever going to select for a child that you have means useful. It means to be profitable. And this man lived up to his name. This man was indeed useful. He was indeed 
profitable. Not profitable in the sense of uh, dollars and cents of Roman coinage, gold and silver, but profitable in a spiritual sense. So let's look. What is it that Paul expresses as reasons for blessing? Well, verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he, what did he do? He often refreshed me. He often refreshed me. He didn't do it once. He didn't just do it once and said, okay, I've done that, that that's enough. Now, sometimes when I think about my, my own life and times of volunteering and times of service, how often times they are one-shot deals, right? You, you go down and you work at this flood place, or you go down and you work at this tornado place. You, you go down and you work at this locality. You go on a mission trip and you go there and do that. And maybe we do it once or twice. Maybe we go and bring some food once a year to love. Uh, we're taking a food collection uh, next Sunday. Actually started this Sunday, but it'll be next Sunday as well for Matthew's house. Their supplies are depleted, right? So we, we, oh yeah, yeah, I did that. But, but the word that catches my attention here is that he often did it. it, it it's like you, you almost get the feeling that Anisiphorus refreshed Paul more often than not. It's like when Paul thinks of this fellow, when Paul thinks of this man, he thinks of the ongoing, repetitive, continual refreshment that he brought to Paul. Okay, so he, he did it often, but probably the question is, what does it mean he refreshed Paul? But what does that mean? That he came often and refreshed me. Well, let's look at the circumstance. Paul is in prison. And as I have told and explained to you before, uh, when you're in prison in Rome, Rome's not footing the bill. You're completely at the, the will of your friends, uh, the will of those who know you, the will of your relatives. So if you think of the circumstance, here's Paul, he's in prison in Rome during a time in which persecution is beginning to break out. The guy who shows up over and over and over again to refresh Paul, which probably means he brings him supplies. He brings him some nourishment. He may bring him new sets of clothing. One can only imagine how dirty one's clothes get when you're in prison. 24-7, and they're not giving you a new change of clothes. It's not just, oh yeah, put them in this pile and somebody will wash them for you. No, you're stuck with the clothes you have on. You're stuck in the filth and the dirt of the other prisoners that are perhaps there with you. Here is this man, Anisiphorus, who often refreshes Paul. What, whatever he did, whatever he brought, Paul sees it as a, ha, huh, we're going to have one of those 
so they predict one of those 90-degree muggy days. Some of you are going to be working outside. The sweat's going to be pouring off your face. Right? You see Anisiphorus as the guy who walks up to you with a nice ice-cold glass of water. Here you are, my friend. And you drink it, and you're just so refreshed. But it also means, Paul, when he's writing this, doesn't just mean physically. It means spiritually as well. And we're going to notice that in the next point that comes. But, but this man would come. And when he'd come, he'd be a blessing. You know, there's sometimes some folks show up at our house, and it's like, yeah, I know they mean good, but, you know, it's not necessarily a blessing when they come. Right? Because all we hear about is perhaps, oh, I got this problem, oh, I got this problem, I got this problem, I got that problem. And it's like, oh, man, yeah, I'm really refreshed by your visit. Thanks for coming. I feel so much better now. Right? Not in this first. When he shows up, Paul is spiritually refreshed. There is a renewal. There is a strengthening. Yeah, the Apostle Paul needs refreshment. The Apostle Paul needs nourishing. He needs strengthening spiritually. And the guy who, who is at the point of this, the man that God is using to bring that refreshment into the Apostle Paul's life, is Anisiphorus. That's why I said, what a great thing to say about somebody. There is nothing going to be written bad about this man. There, there's no, yep, he got a 90%, but 10%? Eh. Or one of these little comments that's off to the side, like, well, yeah, that might be a concern. Everything Paul writes about this man is a positive expression about his Christian life. What a blessing to have those be the words that are recorded about you in Scripture. He often has brought relief, refreshment, encouragement. He's brought the love of Christ into my heart. In the dreariness of this prison, this man, this man is the light of Christ. But keep reading, verse 16. For he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chains. Now when I look back, I believe this is the third time Paul's used the word ashamed in this first chapter. One is an instruction to Timothy. Timothy, don't you be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. You're out there pastoring that church at Ephesus. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. The other is when Paul says, verse 12, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in. I'm not ashamed of Christ. So he instructs Timothy, don't be ashamed. He himself says, I am not ashamed. And he says of Anisiphorus, he was not ashamed. Ashamed of what? Paul's chain. The fact that Paul was a prisoner. Paul calls out two other guys, doesn't he? 
by name. Hey, you know these two guys? They didn't stick around when I got thrown in jail, when I got put into prison. In fact, notice verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among whom are these two guys? They turned away from me too. But you know what? Timothy, not Anisiphorus. He was not ashamed of my chains. Now what does it mean that these other people were ashamed? And then in contrast, what does it mean that Anisiphorus wasn't? They're ashamed of what? Paul's been arrested. Paul is on trial, has been tried. In fact, most commentators believe that that Paul is looking squarely at his execution at this point in time. And rather than people coming to Paul, encouraging Paul, thanking Paul, they're fleeing from him. They're going the opposite way. They're not showing up with cups of cold water. They're not showing up with a new robe. They're not showing up to encourage Paul. Nisiphorus is, but they're not. They have abandoned Paul. Why? There's just too much at stake in their view. You see, to be associated with Paul at this stage is to be associated with Christ. And to be associated with Christ will mean persecution. It will mean you will be persecuted. It will mean perhaps the loss of your business. It will mean perhaps separation from your children. It will mean perhaps your own death. I'm not going near Paul. If I go near Paul, it's guilt by association. I'll be guilty not only of associating with Paul, but I'll be guilty of being associated with Christ. I'm not going there. I am not going to be near Paul. Paul states that as being ashamed of his chains. But notice, Nisiphorus is not ashamed. He is willing to be associated not only with Paul, he is willing to be associated with Christ. He is willing to be persecuted for Christ's sake. See, I told you there isn't much about this guy, but what is here? Precious, is it not? Precious. Oh, to have the conviction. conviction of this man to not be ashamed of Christ. Not in a theological, not in a doctrinal, but in a real life circumstance. Hey, my name is Nisiphorus. I would like to see a prisoner you have. His name is Paul. Could I see Paul? See, many of us could say, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Christ. 
how many of us would be at the prison door houses? And this Arturus was. Oh, to have that faith, to have that courage, to have that conviction. To be at that prison door. To be associated with Christ. Christ says some beautiful words about that, you know. About those who are willing to suffer for him. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He promises the blessing. That's what Onesiphorus received. But notice there is a third reason. He searched earnestly for me and found me. See, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Where did I say Onesiphorus is from? Ephesus. Now, they don't have Google Maps that day, right? They're not even making Rand McNally maps. They're not making the little thing you walk into Texaco, dated myself, okay, and you get the map off the wall and you go, oh, yeah, Rome, yeah, prison in Rome. Okay, I take this way and I take this road. He has no clue where to find Paul. But he has made it a mission. He has made it a goal. He arrives in Rome and he earnestly searched for me. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He didn't go, man, you know, I spent, wow, must have been a whole two hours looking for Paul. Eh, I'm going to get on the boat, next boat, back to Ephesus. He earnestly, passionately, devotedly, this man's commitment to Paul, to being a servant to Paul, he searched until he found me. As I said, beautiful words written about this man. But there is another one, verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. As you well know, all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul says, you know what? This, this fellow, this Anisiphorus, not only has been a refreshment to me, not only has not been ashamed of my chains, not only earnestly sought me, I know that in his hometown, in his home city, he has been of service as well. Sometimes you wonder, People, and I include myself in this because I go on them too, right? We're willing to go on mission trips. We're willing to go there. We're willing to travel hundreds of miles, spend thousands of dollars. We're ready to put ourselves in dangerous circumstances. But we're not willing to go next door. Nisiphorus not only went all the way to Rome to be a blessing to Paul, he did it at home too. He did it at home. For all the service he rendered at Ephesus, he was a servant to the church. This man's life 
smells of the beautiful aroma of being a living sacrifice to the Lord. He, he's the person that, that Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 12, whose life is no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but has been transformed by the renewal of his mind brought by God's grace. So that his life is a life of service, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let's have those words, have those words written about one's life. So those are the reasons Paul gives. That's all we have. But we also have the words of blessing that Paul gives. We have verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, as well you know all the service he has. But you say, wait a minute, no. Verse 16, he's said something similar, hasn't he? May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. To his household. So he asked, Paul, Paul is saying, may the Lord have mercy, may the Lord's grace, not necessarily in a saving sense, but may the Lord's blessing rest upon Anisiphorus' household because he has been such a blessing to me and been a, such a blessing to the church. May it rest on his household. But then in 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. What's Paul talking about? One commentator said, well, this is one of those verses that maybe Peter alluded to when he says, you know, sometimes Paul says some really difficult things, right? Because on the one hand, it sounds like he's praying for Anisiphorus, which is fine if Anisiphorus is living. But when we come to the greetings, the greetings are not personally, hey, by the way, greet Anisiphorus for me, will you? No, it's greet his household. Well, why is he greeting the household but not the person? After having said, it could be that the man is dead. And that's why the mention of the household every time. But that's what makes this verse a little bit confusing. Is Paul praying for a dead man? Well, I think we know the Apostle Paul and we know Scripture better than that. That is not what Paul is doing. He's not praying for a dead man. But what Paul is doing, if Anisiphorus is dead, what Paul is doing is he's reflecting and saying, you know, this man has been such a joy and a delight. I pray that on the day of Christ's coming, he gets to experience all that joy and blessing that he has been to others. Now, I wouldn't call that praying for a dead man. I, I, I think it's a huge step from going from that to saying, and now let's say a prayer for brother so-and-so who died, and let's pray that his soul gets into heaven. Let's pray and ask God to receive his soul. I, I think we are on, we're on two different planes and levels there. And that's certainly not where the Apostle Paul is going here. But it's another further reminder 
of how Paul sees Onesiphorus. He sees him as a man who has been such a blessing that his hope, his desire is that this man in glory will experience the blessings that he has been to others. Now go to verse 19 of chapter 4. Paul, in his usual way, concludes his letters often with these words, right? Greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Here it's greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. So it's the household, not the person, okay, that's involved there. And we might easily read past that. Oh, it's just a bunch of greetings. But you have to understand, these words are inspired by the Spirit too, right? So what does it mean when Paul says greet? Is that just, say hi to them from me. Well, that's me. We, we say, hey, when you get there, say hi to them from me. This is a lot deeper. To greet someone as Paul is greeting them here means and carries with it the idea of a relationship of peace. Remember that whole Jewish thing of shalom? You don't greet somebody unless you're okay with them. You don't say shalom to somebody unless the relationship from your point of view is okay. So here's Paul saying to Aquila and Priscilla, saying to the household of Anisiphorus, and then the rest that are included here as well, greetings. I come to you in peace. But from a Christian standpoint, there is even a deeper level to the greeting, isn't there? This isn't shalom because everything is okay between you and I. This is shalom because, first of all, everything is okay between the Lord and I and between you and the Lord. And because everything is okay with the Lord and you and myself and the Lord, then everything is okay between you and I. Greetings. Greetings. It is deep. It's not a surface word. It's not our, our happy talk of ending conversations. It's deeply spiritual. And it reminds us that true fellowship, the fellowship that Paul had with Onesiphorus, and now that Paul is extending in this greeting to those included here at the end of chapter 4, that that true fellowship exists only where the bond of Christ To have lived your life in such a way, to have been such a blessing upon Paul's life, that Paul, led by the Spirit, as he concludes a book of the Bible, the Spirit wants us to know the intense relationship, the depth of the spiritual relationship that exists between Paul, the household 
of Anisiphorus, their relationship to the Lord, and Paul's relationship to the Lord. It is all at peace. So what do we do with this? Where, where, where do we take this? Okay, This is interesting. This is about this man. Okay, And this is for us. We learned some things about him. Stuff probably most of you never knew about him. But there is in these words a call, is there not? Paul's not just writing this to say some nice things about this man who has refreshed him. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? For training in righteousness. I don't know all the reasons the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write these words. But based upon what Paul writes to us in other passages, I think it's to spur us on. I think it was to spur on the church at Ephesus. I think it was to spur on Timothy. I think it's to spur you and me on. To what? To be a blessing like Anisiphorus was. It's a call. It's Paul calling through the Holy Spirit to you and I today. Be a blessing. Be a blessing in someone's life. Use your gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 4 through 11. Paul talking about the church as the body of Christ, that each of us has been given a gift to be used for the common good. Be a blessing. Be a blessing. Maybe your gift isn't refreshment. Maybe your gift isn't seeking earnestly a prisoner. But you have a gift. The Bible confirms that you have that. Use it. Use it. Even as Anisiphorus used his gift. Serve one another. Remember, remember the, the cornerstone of Mark chapter 10? What is it? I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul in the book of Galatians, if you want to find this passage a minute, chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. Don't serve self. Serve one another. That's what Anisiphorus did, didn't he? He served even when it perhaps meant persecution and death. He was not ashamed. He, he served even when it meant to have to earnestly seek after Paul. And it just didn't fall in his lap. It meant some hard work, some tough days. It's that ongoing consistency back there in Ephesus that he does not only what he does in Rome, he does back in Ephesus, back at home, in his own home church. He served others out of love. 
Paul in writing about those gifts back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, use it. Use that gift to build yourself up, to get some plaques on the wall, to get some accolades. No. Use your gift to build others up. Is that not Anisiphorus? Is that not this man? That we barely know. And yet Paul pours out these words. Why? Because this is Paul's desire for each one of us. That each one of us would live life as an individual who takes the gift the Holy Spirit has given to serve others so that they are built up and strengthened. May Jesus Christ be praised by my life, by your life, in this week. Father, thank you again for your word, for this man, whose name appears upon the pages of Scripture. We know, Lord, it is only by grace. We know it's only because your Holy Spirit worked in his heart and brought him to saving faith. But that faith, Father, put itself into action, put itself to work. And we see that in this man's life. It's what James reminds us of, that faith without works is Dead faith. Father, make our faith living and alive and active to the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. God's people say, amen.